If you're excited for the word, can I get an amen? Amen. Welcome to church. I'm your friendly neighborhood pastor, Joe. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad that you came. Tell somebody that I'm glad that you came. Tell them you're glad that they came. You're happy. I'm happy. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're learning about the power of prayer. Everybody go, I got the power. <laughs> Does anybody remember that song? I've got the power. Maybe that's a little cooler to say it that way. We're going to learn about the power of prayer. There was a song that came out not too long ago. I don't know if you guys remember. It was by a really prophetic, Christian, awesome scholar. It was by MC Hammer. I've got to pray. i got to pray. i got to pray just to make it today. Does anybody remember that? I think I messed it up a little bit. And if you didn't know I was being sarcastic, I don't definitely don't think he's a scholar, and I don't know if he's a Christian. I think he is now. Uh, maybe he was trying to be one then, but definitely wasn't living like one. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And somebody say, the power of prayer. Amen. I'll leave MC Hammer alone. What we're doing, if you're new, is we're going through a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And as we're going through the sermon series, we're learning about every verse-by-verse verse principle that Paul is talking about. And one of the principles that he gave us was the power of prayer. And it comes in the middle of the sermon portion about spiritual warfare. So let's look at this passage. We'll go through the whole passage of the spiritual warfare, and you'll see how prayer ties in. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Who are we strong in? The Lord and in his what? Mighty power. Thank you. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. This is where we need to stop and understand we're not fighting for victory in Christ. We're fighting from victory in Christ. If you are a Christian, you are standing already in the victory. David said it like this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Why are you eating? Why are you eating? Because he's already defeated the enemy for you. That's why you can eat. When you go to medieval times out there in the suburbs, they're battling, you're sitting. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Somebody say, through Christ. Thank you. So we're strong in the Lord, not in our own power. We're strong in his power. We put on the full armor of God to take our stand, to stand in the victory. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, powers of this world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Four kinds of evils are listed here. They are rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces. I know some of you wish I would spend a long time right here and talk about demons and satanas and all of those things, but I don't think he deserves the time. Can I get an amen? We don't need to, find, we don't need to go find a demon. When a demon finds us, cast him out in Jesus' name. Amen? I don't need to try to go into a, a, a trance or try to teach you guys how to be Star Wars warriors for Jesus. Jesus. Spiritual battle is really not that complicated. Don't go looking for it. It will come to you. When it comes to you, tear it down in Jesus' name, okay? You tear it down right there. There you go. And you, and, and you, can, just, you can just tell the devil, you don't want no stuff, don't start no stuff. But how many know he doesn't know that, that lesson? He's going to keep starting stuff with you. So every time he starts it, you finish it in Jesus' name. Look at verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, and now we're going to get the list of what those are. So when the evil day, what? Comes. You see the principle when it comes. You don't have to look for it. When it comes, you will be able to stand your ground, stand firm then. How many times did it say stand in verses 13 and 14? How many times? 
How many times did you see the word stand? How many? Count it or look at the fingers I'm holding up. Look at it again, verse 13. Therefore put on the full armor of God so when the evil day comes you'll be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. Verse 14, stand firm then. Why is it so important to understand this principle we're fighting from victory, not for victory? It's because the battle is the battle of faith for what Christ has already accomplished in your lives. The battle is the battle of you trusting God for salvation. Jesus and the devil are not arm wrestling to save you. The battle's already been won. Jesus conquered the devil. The choice is whether or not you will believe it. So you have to stand on it. Come on, somebody say stand. Okay, so imagine if I said to you right now, you have been given a billion dollars inheritance, but this is the only thing you've got to do. You've got to stand your ground and not deny your inheritance, no matter how many people try to come and tell you lies that you didn't receive your inheritance. Like imagine a game show like that. Are you with me? Like I've told you, you've got a billion dollar inheritance, but here's the deal. You've got to stand against all the lies to receive it. So the first person comes up to you and goes, hey, you know Joe was kidding, right? That was just a sermon illustration. You really didn't get a billion dollars. That really wasn't true. Do you get my point? I say, you would have to stand and be like, no, that was really true. I got it. And then the next person comes to you and goes, listen, it wasn't a billion dollars all at once. You're only going to get the billion dollars over the next 30-year payout. But right now, I'll give you $100 million if you believe what I'm telling you. You see, that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to get you to sell Christianity short of what the promise is. God wants you to live the God life, the full life, an abundant life, and he'll try to start negotiating with you to take steps backwards. And so that's why it's so important to stand. Somebody say, stand. Stand. Thank you. Now look at all the spiritual armor. Stand firm then, verse 14, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in addition to this take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one does everybody get it your shield is a shield of what faith and what is he attacking with the arrows faith so if your faith goes down your righteousness gets attacked because if you don't believe God is who he said he is you won't believe you are who he said you are Come on, if you don't believe God is who he said he is, you won't believe him when he says who you are. If you don't believe God is good, you won't believe he recreated you and made you good. If you don't believe that God is holy, you won't believe that you're holy, okay? So the flaming arrows come against our what? Our faith, and that's where we stand up for the battle right there. And then it says here, uh, take on the helmet of salvation. And what is our primary weapon? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that is what we attack and demolish his arguments with. Let's read verse 18 together because this is the context for our passage today, our message today. One, two, three. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always. Please keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So you see what we are taught here is there's all kinds of prayers. Do you get that? And there's all kinds of occasions. There's different occasions for prayer and there's different kinds of prayer. Look at it again. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. 
There's going to be certain occasions that you're afraid, that you're scared out of your mind. You're going to have to know how to pray on that occasion. There's going to be other occasions where you are tempted and you are going to be burning with the temptation to sin. you got to know how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. There's going to be times you're going to be angry. An occasion, you are angry and you're going to want to sin in your anger, but you're going to have to know how to pray in that occasion. Are you with me? You, you may be tempted to doubt or disbelieve. That occasion may come to you. you got to know how to pray at that time. And then guess what? For every occasion that you need to pray, there's a kind of prayer that you got to pray in that occasion. You see, if I'm being tempted and I start praying a prayer against the devil, how many know that that's not going to be as effective as me praying a prayer for God to crucify my flesh? You see, I can cast out the devil, but I can't cast out my flesh. Oh, only two of y'all got that. Only two of you free from your flesh. Listen, if I'm being tempted, I can go, devil, leave me. I won't look at that pretty girl. I won't look at that pretty girl. And the devil could be like, hey, I'm not even over there, Joe. You're doing that all by yourself. Y'all don't get that. Y'all don't get that. The Bible says in the book of James, you're tempted, you're enticed when you're drawn away by your own evil desires. Everybody go a sidetrack. It's time to go take a sidetrack. If you ever wonder why my messages are long, here they go. Let's go to James. James chapter 1. you got to know where temptation comes from. The devil can never tempt you with something that you are not already desiring. When, when Eve was at the, 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 in the garden looking at the fruit, the devil couldn't say nothing unless she already came there, saw it was desirable for her to eat. The, the, the principle here is we are our own worst enemies. Now, somebody may say, what about Jesus? Jesus was born perfect in the flesh, so he had to have outside temptation. But we have inward temptation and outside temptation. Are you listening? When tempted, no one should say, James chapter 1, verse 13, when tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by the devil. You're tempted when you're dragged away by the devil. Is that what it says? You are tempted when you are what? Dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Where do evil desires go when a Christian gets born, when a person becomes born again and becomes a Christian? Look at what it says in, a, in Galatians chapter 5. After he lists off the deeds of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, he says they're in opposition to each other. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with the demons, passions, and desires? No, with its passions and desires. How are you tempted? You are tempted. Look at your neighbor and say, you're tempted by your own evil desire. But Jesus gave you a cross to count it as dead. His cross is the cross that we carry. When the Bible says take up your own cross, it's not that I'm becoming my own savior. I'm taking up my identification with his cross. I preach Christ and am crucified, and because of that, I am now crucified in Christ. I am not a separate savior dying for my own sins. I am not becoming a better me. The cross that I bear is a sharing in the sufferings, as Paul said in Philippians, of the sufferings of Christ so that I might share all also in his resurrection. So once again, let's go back. Detour over. When we are facing all kinds of occasions, we need to know the kind of prayers to pray. So once again, get it, get it. Lord's prayer in temptation. What am I to pray when I'm tempted? Devil get away? No, flesh be crucified. 
The prayer I pray is leading me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And where's that evil coming from? My own flesh, my own desires. Deliver me from it. And Jesus said, I already did on the cross. Count it as dead. Live for me. There's a new you on the inside. Why do people go to hell? Because God wants to have a barbecue with humans? No. God allowed us to have a choice. You live with your flesh. You will die by your flesh, and your soul will suffer for it. The wages of sin in the flesh is soulical death. The second death for the soul is in hell. Your first death was being separated from God. We were born separate. Our soul was meant to be in connection with God. The body suffers as well. When the body dies, the soul will perish in hell. And then the body's resurrected for a second death and eternal destruction, the lake of fire. Hell is temporary. Lake of fire is eternal. For the believer, we go disembodied to heaven. Why? Because we have a new spiritual life. But the resurrection comes, we get a second physical life. So we're all born once. We'll all die once. The question is, do you want a second death or a second life? Somebody say a second life. The second life is in Christ. So you all ready to pray? Amen. Look at verse 19. Pray also for me. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your leader. Paul saying, pray for me. That whenever I speak, words may be given to me that I can fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador and change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Would everybody commit to pray for me as well? Amen. Because I believe they prayed for their, their leader. Let's understand the passage today. If you're visiting, I normally don't go through my notes as extensively as I am today, but I have really no choice. As you can already see, I've taken about a five-minute detour. If I don't look at my notes, we'll be here till three in the afternoon, and we have a second service, so we be patient with me. But I don't normally like to do all my notes, but i got to get you so many points today. Somebody say, bring it. Amen. The first thing the Bible tells us, be strong in the, the Lord's power. You can't do this on your own. The power of prayer automatically assumes you're dependent upon God. To the world, it looks like you're talking to yourself. But there's a humility that's coming to you when you're recognizing he's God, I'm not. I may not see him, but I trust him. As surely as the world came from what I don't see, I believe my blessing, my power is coming from what I don't see right now. Are you guys getting that? A lot of times people say, I believe in the Big Bang. I say, I do too. I just know who banged it. Amen? See, they don't see what banged it. And see, from nothing, nothing comes. So what was the start of everything that got banged? And I don't believe in evolution, but I'll just start with there. You know, they're thinking with that. I'm like, how do you ever get anything even evolving unless you first have intelligence, unless you have a design, unless there's a plan? Chaos cannot bring about intelligence and order, okay? And so the idea is from nothing, nothing comes. But we came from God. We came from him. Now watch this. Since we have come from God, we may not always see God because just like Steve Jobs is separate from his computer, and the computer might be somewhere off in la-la land right now and not be able to see Steve Jobs. Doesn't mean Steve Jobs doesn't exist. Just because I'm here today and I don't see God doesn't mean he doesn't exist. He's separate from his creation. We don't believe God is his creation. Are you guys with me? Now, can God visit the computer? Can God visit his creation? He has in the person of Jesus Christ. You say he's like Buddha. I say Buddha's still dead. My Jesus proved it by raising again on the third day. He's better than Buddha. He's better than Muhammad. He's better than all of them. So when my God came in the flesh, he showed it, and he did more than just by displaying it, put it on a magic show, by doing miracles and fulfilling prophecies. He died for our sins. He fixed the moral problem. Be strong in the Lord's power. How do we do that? We're a spirit-filled church here. That means we believe in a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everybody who's been water baptized needs to also be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Can I show you that scripture? Can I show you a scripture? Yes or no? Do you guys want to see the Bible? 
Do you know I don't preach without your help, right? You know that, right? Like, like you know I'm just not going to go on and just pretend you all said something when you didn't. How many want to see the Bible? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Were they already water baptized at this point? Yes, the disciples have already been water baptized. Have they already been regenerated? I believe so. Acts chapter 20, he says, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. There is nothing in the passage of Acts chapter 1 or Acts chapter 2 that has anything to do with salvation in regards to the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit regenerates us, but he also baptizes us in power. All of Jesus' talk in Acts chapter 1 and the demonstration of it in Acts chapter 2 is all for the empowerment of the believer. How many believers want to be power empowered? Amen. Look at it. Verse 8. But you will receive what? Power. Come on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my cowards who just go to conferences and are afraid to talk up because people in the media will get upset with you when you disagree with them degenerate. I mean degenerous. Is that what it says? It says, and you will be my witnesses. That means you'll witness against the sin of abortion. You'll witness against the sin of homosexuality. You'll witness against the sin of perversion and corruption. You will witness for the gospel and expose the sin. What was the first part of Jesus' gospel message? What was the first word? Started with an R and ended with a T. What is it, baby? What was it? I don't know. Y'all ain't listening over here unless you're just being quiet. Come on. What was the first word of Jesus' gospel message? Repent. Repent and what? believe. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How did these disciples know they got the power of the Holy Spirit when it came upon them? Look at verse 4, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Some of them, just the real spiritual weirdies of the bunch, were filled with the Holy Ghost. Is that what it says? Just the real charismatic ones among them. Just the ones that, uh, uh, you know, always talked about their dreams and how God told them to tie their shoes in the morning. The fruits, nuts, and flakes, the granola Christians, y'all didn't get that? Fruits, nuts, and flakes, that's what granola bars are made of. Is that, is that what it says? This says, no, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We believe those tongues can be both known languages and unknown languages, but we know no matter what, that the primary focus of the tongues is for the believer to communicate with God unless it's interpreted, then it's a message for the church. How do we know this? Because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, Paul says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They, under, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, on the day of Pentecost, it says they understood them. So what was going on? It was either a gift of interpretation to the hearer or the person speaking was speaking in a known language, so it became a tongue that became a prophecy for their understanding so they could understand and uh, the listener could get something from it. But in general, as we go through the rest of the book of Acts, are any of those tongues understood? Are the tongues said to be understood in Cornelius' house? Are the tongues said to be understood in Samaria? Are the tongues said to be understood when Paul meets son of John the Baptist's disciples, and they get boom shakalaka there. Is any time does it say the tongue was understood? No. Can it be? Yes, and it can be used as prophecy. But what is its primary function? No one to understand but utter a mystery to God. Get you some of that, and that will be the power for you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, I've been to cemetery, I mean seminary, and I understand the arguments against this, and we'll take time to explain it to you, but I just got one question for you. Do you want to ride a dead horse or an alive horse? 
Okay, start with the alive horse and we'll explain to you how to ride it, okay? You've looked at that dead horse long enough. And I talk to some people and they're like, well, it only is really biblical if the people understand you. And I go, have you ever spoken tongues and somebody from another language understands you? And they go, no. I go, I've done it twice and I have it recorded on my website, the witnesses who were there. So I would rather listen to me than listen to you. I've actually seen it done both ways. Would you rather, y'all don't believe that example? Don't have me pull up my journal. I'll put it, I have my journal online so y'all can check it out. Look up interpretation of tongues on the website right here. You see this little thing? Peekaboo. I double dog dare you to put interpretation of tongues up on there. You'll hear the testimony of the living witnesses who are still alive that heard it. Both times it was from somebody from India. My point is being this, be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have questions, we'll take you through that. Stand against the devil's schemes. How many know the devil's a scheming devil? How many know we have an enemy? Y'all quiet today. Is it just too comfortable for you? Normally we've been hot in this church during the summer. Y'all just bored or what's going on? How many know the devil schemes? See, this is the problem. Many people believe in God and they believe in all this spiritual stuff, but they disbelieve in the devil's current attacks upon them. Please do not get this wrong. I know you can do bad all by yourself, but you do have an enemy that hates you and wants to destroy your life. And he knows at each point of weakness where to attack you. He knows the things that you will fall for. He has been doing this for a long time. So take, for example, what do you think the devil's going to attack me as a preacher with? He's going to get me to look at the size of the church, the issues of the church, and he's going to start to tell me I'm not a good pastor. Is he going to come right at me and say, disbelieve in God, become an atheist, get 666 across my, my, my head, begin to, you know, start some satanic cult? No. What's the first thing the devil's going to do just to chip away at my foundation? You're not a good pastor. You don't have a big enough church. People don't like you. Look at you. You're not as good as so-and-so. See? That's how he's going to attack. That's, that's how the scheme is going to come against me. And then what else is he going to say to me? <clears throat> he's going to say, you know all these people in your church that have sinned and you've, you've been there to forgive them? It's your turn now. You get a freebie. That girl over here, go cheat on her, your wife with her. And you know what? Just tell your church to forgive you like you forgave them. The devil will tell me, how many people have committed adultery in your church and you forgave them? Why don't you get your freebie now? They'll forgive you. See, it gets quiet when I talk like that. You don't want me to be honest about how the devil tempts me, right? My friends have committed adultery in ministry. Why? Because they were satanic? No, because they believed a lie. It was their turn now. They deserved a little bit of the piece of the fleshly pie. I've had my friends quit ministry. I had a friend quit ministry in this city. He was Chicago, born and raised. He had money in the bank, over $5,000 in the bank. He had a team that was with him. And you want to know why he quit within two years? It's because his worship leader turned their back on him, split the church, and talked about him on Facebook. And now, still to this day, he said him and his wife aren't even ready to be in ministry and spent almost five years. It broke him down that bad. The devil is a scheming devil. You think you're the only one that gets discouraged, doesn't want to come to church? The devil will come against pastors. The, devils will come, the devil will come against you no matter what stage of the game you're in. So what you have to know is that you are in a real spiritual battle, and he will use others to speak his words. So when I hear people speak against me, you're nothing, pastor. You're not good enough. You're not as good as these guys. I go, oh, you must be talking to my number one enemy because you sound just like him. You remind me of the voice I hear in the middle of the night. 
I know who you've been influenced by. You sound just like him. I'm not talking about not receiving godly correction. We're a church built upon elders and deacons. I am certainly accountable. I have the same pastor in my life since I've been in Bible college. I don't know many pastors that can say that today. Over 20 years, my wife's got his number on speed dial. Can call him up like that and say, my husband needs your help. And when I sit down with them, come on, Nancy. When I sit down with them, it gets past all the laughing and ha ha, how are you? He, just, he gets right past it quick. How are you? And then he'll look at Nancy. Nancy, how's the marriage? See, I got accountability, but I'm telling you, the devil will come through other people. How many have been attacked by other people? But know this, the battle's already been run because of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said it's finished, that means your battle's been finished in Jesus' name. May you have to stand in the victory for a while. May you have to put up your shield of faith for a while. Absolutely. But the victory over Satan has already been won. Every attack can be defeated in Jesus' name. Attack's not against people. It's against demonic powers, rulers, authorities, powers, and forces of evil. People have written books on that if you want to read it. I don't know how much I agree with them, but some of them say they've met each one of them. They have their names, and uh, they have dreams about them. I mean, it can get wacky out there. So uh, make sure you guard yourself when you read those kind of books. But we know they're out there. When Daniel was praying in Babylon... His prayers were resisted by a demon, and the angel that was trying to come to bring him a message was wrestling with that demon, and then it took Michael to come and knock out that prince, which was known as the prince of Persia, to knock it out so the answer could come. Somebody go, ooh, yeah, that stuff's true in the Bible. I believe it. And lastly, put on the armor of God. How many want to see the armor of God here today? Amen. It's just a cool little picture. Check it out. Notes online. Once again, see it from the Bible's perspective. You put on the belt of truth, it holds up your pants. The breastplate of righteousness guards your heart, the righteousness of Christ. The gospel guards your feet, it leads you on the path of peace. You then have the shield of faith, which distinguishes the arrows of the enemy. The helmet of salvation guards your mind. And then you have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to tear down the enemy's attacks. Amen? Here we have listed those things with some scriptures to help you understand the truth, the righteousness, the peace, the faith, your salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Now look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. Uh, that was just the introduction. I hope I went through that quickly. If you have any questions, write them down. A leader would love to talk and meet with you after church. We will have some of them up at the front. Look at your neighbor and say, let's hear the message now. Let's hear the message now. The power of prayer. The power of prayer. Somebody say the power of prayer. The power of prayer can never be underestimated. D.L. Moody told a story about him going to heaven. And uh, as, a, as an illustration, he says he doesn't want to go to heaven and see a room with his name on it and a bunch of stuff up there. The story goes, as the illustration was being told, that he would ask the angel, why is my name here and why is there a bunch of stuff in here? And the angel would respond back something like, these were the things God wanted to give you on earth, but you never took the time to pray to receive them. They remained up here. I know it may be a little bit childish to think of it that way, but I want us to be passionate about a prayer life. Look at your neighbor and say, get a life, a prayer life. If I was to attribute any act, we're saved by grace through faith, but the Bible says the salvation comes with good works. If I was to be honest with you and to share the number one good work that has bore the most fruit in my life, it would be prayer. 
studying the Word of God has only been effective in my life through the prayer life that God has encouraged me to have. Some of you today struggle with your prayers, and I want to help you to have a good prayer life. Look at the three components of praying. It's number one, communicating with God. Number two, it's listening to God. And number three, it's speaking God's Word against the enemy. Sometimes people only do the first two and not the third. They just talk and listen to God, and that's great. But in prayer, you're supposed to also wage war. Not that the the devil is the kind of being like God. God is all-powerful and all-knowing and, you know, and ever-present, etc. But the devil and his forces must be confronted with our prayers. And if you follow the life of Jesus, you see Jesus confronting the devil both personally by speaking to him, and then you see him in his prayers destroying his powers upon the earth. So to give you an example, when we see Jesus interceding, talking to the Father, he's not just interceding against uh, just his flesh. He's also interceding against the temptations of the devil coming against him. We, We know that Jesus felt the force of the enemy, and his prayers would knock them out. How do we know that? Because when we look to the Psalms, just when he's on the cross, how many know the Psalm 21? Anybody know Psalm 21? How many know Psalm 21? Raise your hand, please. Nobody here knows Psalm 21? I'm looking at some of my college students. Okay, you know Psalm 21? The importance of Psalm 21 is that this is what is quoted. Oh, excuse me, is it Psalm 22? I'm sorry, how many know Psalm 22? I only got two more hands going up now. Listen to Jesus talk to the Father and also rebuking the enemy. Look at him in Psalm 22. This was written by David, obviously, but Jesus quoted this from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so so far from me, so far from the cries of my anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I can find no rest. He says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You uh, are the one Israel praises. In you our trust, uh, in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. Are you guys? watching this. He's he's praying to God in the midst of his despair. Now watch this. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. This is a prayer. How many know this is a prayer? He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me to trust in you even at my mother's breath. breast. From birth I cast, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Now watch this. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there's no one to help me. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircled me, roaring lions. What does the Bible compare compare the devil to? He's like a roaring lion. Look at roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouth wide against me. I'm poured out like water on my bones, or out of joint my heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried like a pot shard. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. How many have ever felt that way before spiritually? Come on. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. How many know this was a thousand years before the cross? This is a prophecy, baby. And why am I putting this on us today? Because we will face similar situations, and we have to know how to pray spiritually against the attacks of the enemy. Can I hear an amen? So we communicate with God, we hear the Holy Spirit, and then we speak God's words against the enemy. 
How many know when he was speaking those words, those were against the enemies that were surrounding him both physically and spiritually, and God was with him. God, The Bible says God heard Jesus' prayers. That's why he was raised from the dead. The vindication of Jesus being the righteous servant was that he was raised from the dead. How many want to learn about nine kinds of prayers? Okay, here they are. You're going to have different occasions in your life. You need to know how to pray different kinds of prayers. Now, there may be other kinds of prayers. Don't take this literal. The Bible doesn't list nine kinds of prayers by, by that definition as it does the fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. This is through my personal research going through the Bible and pulling out what I believe are different kinds of prayers because the Bible actually doesn't list them. He says there's different kinds, but he doesn't go, and there's the prayer of this and the prayer of that, as he does about the fruit of the Spirit. Does everybody understand that? He goes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. He doesn't do that with prayer words left to research the Bible and get it from it. Number one, the prayer of request. How many are familiar with asking things from God? That's a prayer of request. You can learn about that in John chapter 14, verse 13 and onward, where Jesus actually tells us to pray in his name. There's the prayer of repentance. How many of y'all have done that before? How many of y'all need to do it right now for not listening to your pastor when he asks you if you've done it before? Let's ask another question. Have you ever repented before? Who were you talking to? God. It's a prayer, isn't it? It's a prayer of repentance. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 7.10, that godly sorrow brings forth repentance. Do you know that repentance is a blessing of God? It's a blessing to feel sorry for your sins. Now, never confuse repentance with condemnation. Everybody say, no condo bondo, baby. God does not put us in condemnation or in bondage, but he gives us conviction. What's the difference? Conviction draws us to Christ, to the grace of God, how amazing he is to love us and to change us and to form us in his image. Condemnation brings us inward to ourself and makes us feel so unworthy, and it's a lie of the enemy. Remember, the devil doesn't come to you and say, believe in the devil. The devil comes to you and says, believe in yourself. Condemnation becomes from an inward focus. The prayer of intercession. How many of you ever prayed for somebody before? Do you know that when you were praying for them, you were interceding from them? Like a lawyer intercedes for their client, we are called to pray and intercede for others. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27 says, sometimes it can be so emotional that we weep and groan in the presence of the Lord. How many have ever prayed for the nation and have wept and groaned and interceded? interceded? Amen? Excuse me. I have. We've had times of prayer against abortion here. That's why we don't just preach against it. We pray against it. And like Jesus looking at Jerusalem, knowing that judgment is coming, we weep for them, knowing that God wants to save them. How many have ever prayed the prayer of thanksgiving? Amen. Prayer of thanksgiving, Philippians 4, 6, says when you pray. Let me just put this in this context. Everybody turn their Philippians 4, 6. talks about whenever you pray to add thanksgiving. So when I teach my children to pray, I say, don't just ask for a bunch of things. Thank God for a bunch of things. Why should God give you one thing that you haven't? Why should God give you one more thing when you're not thankful for the thing he already gave you? Come on. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every uh, situation by prayer and petition with what? Thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't just bring to God your request. Bring to God your praise. Amen. I just wish there was a good church at 5405 West Diversity that had praise in its name. You know, does anybody know a church like that? Come on. How about praying in unknown tongues? We talked about that today. When I pray in the Spirit, the Bible says my mind is unfruitful, but my spirit prays. Can I show you that? Go back to, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I showed you that 
praying in the Spirit is primarily for you and God. And then if it is to be interpreted, it functions as a prophecy. But now let me show you here what Paul says, I pray both in my spirit and I also pray in my understanding. Look at verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is what? Unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. I was raised by that pastor in Bible college to pray with my spirit and let God download things to me. I have produced, God, I should say, obviously, has produced so many good fruit in my life through praying in the spirit. Because after a time you've been praying and you're understanding, God wants to do something else and you don't understand it. Like, let me give you, y'all, the... I don't think you guys get this. Have you ever been through something in life you didn't understand? Okay, now watch this. How are you going to pray through that when you don't understand it? So now watch this. Imagine this. Imagine this. You're facing a time in your life, let's say a job. God's plan is for you to get fired. God's plan is for you to get fired. God's plan is for you to lose that car payment. Not saying that he wants you cursed, but you shouldn't have took that to begin with. He's going to correct your finances. And God wants you to lose three friends, your best friends in your life, people that you would have had stand up in your wedding, things like that. How are you going to pray that when you don't even understand what you're going through? God, I pray that I get fired. I pray that I lose my car and I lose my three closest friends. (laughs) See, we don't understand that. And God knows we don't understand that. So instead of him trying to get you to pray that, God, I pray I get fired. I pray I lose my car and my three friends, but I come out on the other side better than I've ever been before. So instead of him trying to explain that, because we'd just be arguing with him going, Satanas, the devil, I rebuke you. I don't agree with that. God says, just speak in tongues. And then you start speaking in tongues. And basically what you're saying is, God, when I get fired, give me strength to go through it. God, when I lose my car, help me to be encouraged. And God, when I lose my three friends, be my friend six closer than a brother. You will pray things you don't understand in the spirit. That's what the Bible says. You will sing things you don't understand. I know people may disagree with that, but this is what I have found to be powerful, and I believe the scripture says it. The prayer of faith. Somebody say the prayer of faith. When David prayed the prayer of faith in Psalm 23, did he ask the Lord to be his shepherd? Did he say, God, pretty, 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 please be my shepherd? No, what did he say? The Lord is my shepherd. I, what? I, okay, we're going to be here for a while. Where's my stool? Get me a stool, good sir. I got to sit down. Y'all making your pastor tired on this day. Get me a stool, good sir. I'm going to sit down. When you see me sit down, that means I'm going too fast for you guys. Thank you. Oh, thank you, God. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, take your time. Prayer of faith. When David said Psalm 23, let's back up. Is Psalm 23 a prayer? Psalm 23, is it a prayer class? It's a prayer. It's a prayer. Are songs prayer, worship prayer? Yeah, they're prayers. So whenever we're worshiping, we're also, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Is that a prayer? Not be all else to me, save that 
Thou art, thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. When I sing that hymn, am I praying? I'm talking to God. When David wrote Psalm 23, is he praying? He is. How does it begin? Lord, I want you to be my prayer. Won't you please be my, uh, Lord, I want you to be my shepherd. Lord, won't you please be my shepherd. How does Psalm 23 go? The Lord is. What's the next phrase? I don't got anything from this side. Y'all don't know Psalm 23? I'm going to put it up just so you know, now there's no excuses. Maybe y'all don't know it. I don't know. I don't know if y'all don't know Psalm 23. I'm going to put it up for you just in case y'all forgot. The Lord is my I lack nothing. Let's put it in King James. Y'all want to see in King James? Right there. Look at it. Program run a little slow. That's all right. One more time. The. I sh see, that's a prayer of faith. You have to learn how to pray by faith. There are times God wants you to ask for your daily bread. That's a part of the plan. He said you could pray and ask for your daily bread. But you also must learn how to declare with your words in faith what God already said he would do. That's why it says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and it will listen. Why do mountains listen to God? Because he's the one that created them and put them in that place to begin with. What is a mountain to our God? Some people say, I believe in science. I don't believe in God. I believe in science because I believe in God. Science only makes sense because there's a God. Why are there molecules holding this thing together that we call a mountain? Oh, because there was a big bang. Who banged it? Where did they come from? Those molecules. You still haven't answered nothing. You just backed up the question one more. Are you listening? Where did the design of a mountain come from? Why do they stick together and not expand and separate? Why is there not space here, but why is there a thing we call a mountain here? Why is it on the ground and not floating in that space? Why am I, as a perceiver, seeing it and understanding it to be a mountain? Why is it I can communicate it to you and you understand it's a mountain? Because we both could be in the matrix, put our brains on probes, looking at, looking at whatever the scientist is telling us. How do we know there's a mountain? How do we know there's even molecules? Are you listening? God. God, God, do you think he was teasing when he said it? We know it's hyperbole. It can be, it's, it's, a, it's an example that's used to, to exemplify how great our God is, but is it still literal? Yes. When Jesus comes, the mountains melt like wax. If a video game creator can make mountains melt like wax on a video game, if a cartoon creator can do it, if we can do it with CGI, what can the creator of the heavens and earth do with the mountain? Speak faith. Speak faith. Uh, the word of God in faith to that mountain. Amen. Not just speak faith. Speak the word of God. I hope I help somebody. I'm doing this for you and for my own sanity. My own sanity. Amen. I got to speak the word of God over my life. The prayer of agreement. How many like to pray with others? Why do we pray with others? We start a prayer chain because we just want more people involved? No, because the Bible says there's power in agreement. Now, don't become superstitious and start thinking to yourself that God will only work if you get a 1,000 prayers, like as if we're, we're trying to raise the prayer bar with God in heaven. He's like, angels, they're so close. They got 998 prayer followers right now. If they could just get two more, the answer's coming. No, 
God can do it with a, one person's prayer, but why does he want us to do it in agreement with each other? Because it encourages each other, and it strengthens each other. When I hear you pray for me, it encourages me. That's why I don't just pray to myself. I pray out loud. I want you to hear my prayer, and I want to hear your prayer. The prayer of spiritual warfare. Psalm chapter 3, verse 7. Can you go there quickly? Psalm chapter 3, verse 7. Y'all were shouting better in the introduction than you were in the message. Look at what it says, spiritual warfare. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. That's my Jesus. Amen. It's my battle against flesh and blood like it was for David. Why did David in this time have to fight flesh and blood? Because the kingdom on earth was with Israel, and they needed to have a nation so the Messiah could come. Where did Jesus say the kingdom was now? Within, ready to come down. Are you listening? So my enemy is not without. It's within, with myself, and with the demonic attacks that I'm facing. But one day, on the day of judgment, Armageddon, will there be some teeth kicked in? Yes, there will be. There will be the defeat of the enemy. But right now, we're praying for our enemies to be saved, aren't we? How many love an enemy enough to pray that they might be saved? How many are praying enough right now, are praying and believing that ISIS gets saved, the terrorists, that, that people who don't love you get saved, even your people on your job that don't like you? And then some may say the prayer of persistence. There's a unique verbiage in Luke chapter 8, uh, Luke chapter 11, 8 through 10. Let's go there, and I want you to see it. Luke chapter 10 is a standard verse that many of us know when it comes to prayer. Luke chapter 11, verse 8, rather. Luke chapter 11, verse 8. It's a standard prayer, and if you've heard it, I want you to listen. It says, I tell you, even though he will not give up, excuse me, I tell you, even though he will not give up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Somebody say, as much as you need. The example is that if an unjust governor will hear the knocking of the woman knocking at his door for justice, if he'll get up because of her persistence, how much more so will God get up for us? And how many know God don't have to get up? He's already in our business right now. Amen? But now watch this. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, this is popular. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. How many know that verse? Okay. But in Luke chapter 11, there's actually a nuance there. And all the commentaries agree, so I'm not just using the Amplified as a trick here. All the, all the commentaries agree, expositors, commentary, etc., that the verbiage is a continuing verb. It continues. So look at it in Amplified because it actually just takes it so you would understand it. So I say to you, read this with me. Ask and... Come on, one more time. Ask and... One more time. Ask and keep on asking, and it shall be given to you. Seek and... Keep on seeking and you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. I believe that's what Jesus was saying. He was probably speaking Aramaic. And when Luke wrote it in Greek, he used that nuance so that we would understand that there is a continuing of our prayers. So that when you and I get to a place where we say, man, I've already tried that. It, it just doesn't work. That we would understand there is a keep asking. How many have kept asking before? 
How many have seen the blessing come through persistence? When you don't give up, there is a blessing that comes. He gave us the illustration. Let's just say it like this. Even if you don't agree with the usage of the Greek, is not the illustration here in this passage about someone who persistently, shamelessly, audaciously keeps asking, is that not the point? So how should you pray? Persistent. Without shame. Don't be embarrassed. The Bible says, whoever asks of the Lord will never be put to shame. Audacious, to be bold. The Bible says we come before his throne boldly, the throne of grace. Amen. Can I give you the examples now in closing? Somebody say, wrap it up. You're going to fight two battles in your prayer life. Two battles. One is going to be from victory, and another one is going to be for victory. When you fight from victory... You can't let the devil have you chase your tail. What I mean by this is, let's say you're fighting temptation right now, right? And you sin. And you start to go, well, maybe I'm not really sanctified, or I'm not saved, or I'm not good enough. The devil will put you under condemnation, and he'll have you start to pray prayers like this. Lord, forgive me for looking at pornography. I feel so bad, but I really want to do it again. So, Lord, please forgive me for looking at pornography. I'm such a bad person, but, oh, my goodness, I want to do it again. And, uh, Lord, forgive me. You'll keep chasing your tail. When you're fighting this battle from victory, the first thing you have to determine is that God gave you victory. I listed some of these things that you have to stand in, the promises of God. And for those who don't remember, let me just put it up on the board. In 2 Peter, it tells us very clearly that we've been given everything we need. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for what? For what? A godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So do you have, if you're a Christian, do you have everything you need for a godly life, yes or no? Okay, so what are some of those things you already have? You have salvation. You have holiness. You have a sound mind. You have peace. You have a blessed marriage because he said what he's joined together, no one will tear apart. You have a godly home by his design. A sexual purity. You've been forgiven of past sins, joy, patience. You know, obviously the fruit of the Spirit. The mind of Christ, the Bible says it's been given to you spiritually. Freedom, who the sun sets free, is free indeed, and you have hope. Now, are you living out every one of these things the way God intended at any given certain time, at any given occasion? Probably not. So when you face occasions where these things are in question, what are you supposed to do in your prayer life? Stand on the Word of God. You stand on what God has already given you. When you're doubting your salvation, you say, I don't believe that. I'm going to doubt my doubt. The Lord is my shepherd, and he's a good shepherd. You see, you're going you're to speak from that place of authority. When you sin against God and you know that you're convicted and the devil tries to condemn you and say, well, that's because you're so filthy and dirty. He can never love you. No, you're going to say, I have he who became sin for me. Uh, he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.21. I am holy because he has made me holy. See, you're going to speak the word. Sound mind. 
One of the first lessons that I learned to fight in prayer was for my mind. I got saved at 18 years old. It's almost 23 years ago. I was on drugs. I was dealing with a lot of emotional things. And I'll never forget the man who was discipling me. He took me into his house. He showed me 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He said, the Lord did not give you a spirit of fear. But he gave you the spirit, what? Of a, he gave you the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You see, when I kept trying to, to say, I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it, I was losing the battle because I was chasing my tail. When I began to say, I have it, I have it, I have it, I began to realize I had it. <laughs> and it's not mind over matter, it's spirit over lies. It's truth over error. The truth is, the day I was born again, I had not the spirit of fear dwelling with me. So he was only coming, if you want to consider it an attack or whatever, it was only coming, that fear, through my naivety, lowering down my shield of faith. But when I put up that shield of faith, the lies of Satan were defeated every time. How many battles does God intend you to lose? He said, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. How many temptations does God want you to give into? How many battles with evil does he want you to lose? None. Now, the next battle that you'll fight is the battle for others and the battle for victory upon this earth because he told us to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm standing for my own victory and my own salvation and all of those things. But the Bible says the gates, I will build my church, but the gates of hell will not prevail. Why is that given to us as well? Because we're supposed to be attacking the gates of hell, plundering hell and populating heaven. So I've been standing in my victory. I've been given all that God has for me in a godly life. Hallelujah. But that's not good enough. I want to take 100,000 with me me in Jesus' name. I want to destroy the kingdom of darkness. And that's why Paul said, pray that I can keep on preaching the gospel because the gospel rescues lost humanity. So I double dog dare you after you've prayed for your, for your mind to be renewed, after you've prayed for all of these things from your place of victory in Christ, I dare you to start praying for victory over this nation, for victory over our politics, for victory over racism, for victory over uh, corruption in our business, for victory over the homosexual LGBT agenda, for us to storm the gates of hell, remembering once again that our battle's not against the people, but against the powers of the evil one. I believe God has called us to pray. And sometimes we don't take it serious. But I want everyone to look up at me, please, in closing. Band, would you come? Altar workers, would you come? Your prayer life will determine your spiritual life. Your prayer life will determine the climate of this nation. When you walk into a dark room and you flip the light switch, and the light switch doesn't come on, does cursing the darkness make light come? One more time. Look at me, people, people as, they, as they come up. Come on, everybody. Listen. When you go into a room and it's dark and you flip on a switch, you go into that room, you flip on a switch, and the switch is broken and it's still pitch black, do you curse the darkness expecting the light to come on? You do not do that, do you? What do you do? You change the light. How are we going to change this world by cursing the darkness? How are we going to change gangbangers by continuing to curse at them? How are we going to change Donald Trump 
to be a one wife man and to honor God in his words and his behavior. How are we going to pray for Hillary? How are we going to see Hillary Clinton stop being a crook, a liar, an abortionist, and someone that does nasty things? How are we going to get her out of that, na- that nastiness? How are we going to get Ellen out of it? How are we going to see the world change? How are we going to see Belmont and Clark change? Through a prayer life. Through a prayer life. Everything Jesus did was proceeded by prayer. He said, I do nothing unless I see my father do it first. Because he knew how to communicate. How did Jesus face the cross? On his knees in the garden of Gethsemane. Where were his friends? They had abandoned him. Your prayer closet will rise and fall based on your efforts and your efforts alone. It doesn't matter if my wife wants to pray. I have to pray. It doesn't matter if my kids want to pray. It doesn't matter if no altar workers or band want to pray. I have to pray. In the time of Scotland during the Reformation, the Queen of Scotland said, I fear more the prayers of John Knox than the armies that are coming against me. One person on their knees can change a nation. Some of you here aren't even old enough to understand the revivals that have swept across this nation but they started in prayer. New York City was brought to its knees. The Christian Businessmen Association was developed out of it because the men on Wall Street started praying. There have been entire nations impacted by prayer. The Welsh revival, Evan Roberts, was impacted by prayer to the point where the men could no longer get their animals to work in farms or in the coal mines because they only responded to swearing, and now the men only spoke words of wholesome talk. They had to retrain their animals. Could you imagine having that dilemma? My animal won't listen to me because the commands only come in cursing. I have to retrain them now. Argentina has experienced revival. Brazil has experienced revival. Colombia, Bogota, Colombia experienced revival when they prayed and the drug lords were captured and the city was brought to peace. They filled stadiums praying in Colombia. Research it. The power of prayer changed my life. When I was a high school dropout doing drugs, had been raised a Christian, was out of my parents' house, my mother prayed for me and warred against the devil's lies. She wrote down, everybody get this, my mother wrote down words in her prayer journal that I still haven't even seen yet come to pass about being in the ministry. She already was writing them down as if they were because God promised her son was coming back. Imagine praying for a lost son or daughter. You're watching them do drugs, all of these nasty things in their life, and you're writing down what they're going to do in ministry. Prayer changed my life. Where did I get saved? At my mother's kitchen table. You think it was an accident? I got saved at my mother's kitchen table. My mother prayed for me. You will not make it without prayer. Prayer will not only determine your spiritual life, it will determine the climate of this city. And so we ought not to make excuses for lack of prayer. We just need to repent. So before we go, we're going to put into action what we've said. Here's how we'll dismiss, and thank you for your patience. These altar workers will be here at the end of service to pray for you if you have any need in your life, and especially if you want to be filled with the baptism of the Spirit, speaking in other tongues. They're here. Boom. Let's go. But right now, I want us to end in prayer. Would you stand up with me right now?
Would you start to pray for anything the Lord has put on your heart to pray right now? If you need to repent of your sins, would you do that? Prayer of repentance. If you need to make prayers of requests for your family, for your children, do that right now. It's not a library. It shouldn't be quiet. It's a prayer meeting. If you want to pray right now for the mission field, go ahead. Those of you who want to intercede, start interceding. Church, we shouldn't need to be hyped up to pray. We should come ready to pray. The Bible says his house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. I'm giving us five minutes to pray. Those who need prayer, you can come up right now. You're not interrupting this prayer meeting. We won't be distracted. But the rest of us, come on, pray. Those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, begin to pray in tongues if you don't know what to pray. Right now, somebody needs to pray the prayer of faith. He shall provide for all of my needs according to his riches and glory. The Lord is my healer. On the cross, by his stripes, I am healed. In our marriage, what he has joined together, no one will tear apart. Pray the prayer of faith. Somebody in their life today, if that's you. Come on, let's pray. Father, help us to be a praying church today. Help us to be a praying church. We have not because we ask not. We receive not because we wait not. We pray because we acknowledge that you're a good, good father, that you will meet our needs, that you hear us when we call out your name. Those who don't know Jesus, repent, be born again right now. Repent, be born again. If you don't know what to repent of, repent of the sins you've committed. Say, God, forgive me. Jesus, wash me clean. Be the Lord of my life. Declare it. You're the Lord of my life, Jesus. If you're a Christian and you've got hidden sin in your heart, nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. Repent now and be free. Be free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Never the same again in Jesus' name. I believe. I believe. I speak to the mountain of racism in this culture. The biblical truth of one race, the human race. Jesus set us free from hatred towards our brothers and our fellow man of different skin tones. God, I pray for corruption wherever it may be, that you would set us free, that businesses, politicians, leaders, police officers will be true to their word. God, I pray against rebellion, rebellion against authority, rebellion against civil government, rebellion against teachers. I pray for a people that honors God and honors authority in the name of Jesus. Woo! Two and a half more minutes. You're halfway through. You're halfway through a prayer time at church. Pray like you mean it. Pray like a God hears you today because I believe in one that does. My God answers by fire. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers is with us here today. The God of Israel. The God of Israel is here in the name of Yeshua, his Mashiach, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus over every demonic power. Satan, we come against your lies. We come against your murderous lies in every abortion clinic. We come against your murderous lies in Jesus' name. 
We come against your lies over those in their sexuality, gender dysphoria, perversion. In the name of Jesus, loose them and let them go. Holiness unto the Lord. Woo! I pray for every church in this city to be an on-fire church, full of the gospel, unashamed of Jesus and the gospel. We pray that we might fearlessly preach the gospel. Come on, in the last 60 seconds, pray for the gospel to be preached fearlessly, fearlessly in the Middle East. I pray for our brothers arrested right now in Iran, that God, you will give them strength to preach fearlessly for the underground church in China. May the boldness of the Holy Spirit flow through them right now, right now in Indonesia, right now in Nigeria, right now name of Jesus hallelujah the nations belong to our God and now I pray fearlessness for all of us fearlessness with co-workers fearlessness with your friends and family I pray that you will make known the gospel fearlessly those of you who are praying keep praying but those who can hear me listen There was a missionary in India that was visiting one of the local pastors, one of the converts from Hinduism. They were having a crusade. They had put up their speakers in the town square. And a bunch of the local businesses came to complain. And they were causing issues. And one night, they came to the man. And he said, if you don't stop, we're going to kill you. The Indian man looked back at those accusers and said, I already came out here a dead man in Christ. I live now for Jesus. You can't take nothing away that I haven't already given. I am willing to die right now. That's how they came to preach. The man who has died to sin has no fear of death. Hallelujah. Fear God alone. And those who are saved know today that God is with them. We will fearlessly preach the gospel in this culture. In the name of Jesus and everybody said, if you believe it, can you say amen like you mean it? Come on. It wasn't that bad, was it?